What's up, fifth and long fans? This is Paul, the Commissioner Kashak, coming to you here. We have one hell of an episode that's coming your way just a little bit here. We appreciate everybody for listening, giving any feedback that they have. We're going to, be, of course, be recapping the NFL divisional round from this past weekend. But before we get into that, I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about uh, five pertinent things in sports right now. Of course, sticking with that theme of fifth and long, this is usually something my counterpart, Patrick Tamar, does. But I wanted to take this opportunity and share some of the things that are impressing me in sports right now with all of you guys, the listeners. So without further ado, let's kick it off with the National Hockey League and the Edmonton Oilers. They're the hot story in the NHL right now. They've rattled off 13 wins in a row. And if some of you guys remember from our hockey episode a couple months back, which was around the quarter mark of the season, the Oilers were really struggling. They were outside of the playoff picture. They had really no goaltending help. They had just fired their head coach, but things could not be different right now. 13 wins in a row, as I said. They've limited opponents to three goals or less in every one of the games on that stretch. And Connor McDavid's been a beast, as you would imagine. He had a point in every game on the win streak, except for the most recent game against Calgary. It's been a fundamental part of the Oilers' success, as you would imagine. So look for Edmonton to keep on pushing. They're one of the most dangerous teams in hockey right now, and certainly one that we will discuss in detail as we get into more hockey talk in the coming months. Now let's uh, switch over to the hard court. Topic number two for me is going to be college basketball. Um, It's personally my favorite sport. And just want to give a brief background about who's good this year, teams to watch out for, so that you guys aren't completely blindsided when we switch over to NCAA basketball talk as we approach March. Number one team in the nation right now is UConn. They hold a 17-2 record, and they are the defending national champs. Uh, They won in that national championship game over San Diego State last year. Dan Hurley, the coach for them, has another talented team in stores, Connecticut. Uh, But not far behind are two through five. That's Purdue at the two spot, North Carolina at three, Houston at four, and Tennessee at five, according to the AP Top 25. Um, All very talented teams in their own right, all teams that you're going to want to familiarize yourself with come March. Uh, But should be really impressive. And Purdue, of course, with a lot to improve on, a uh, a lot to prove to everybody, of course, after losing that game. To Fairleigh Dickinson in the NCAA tournament, becoming only the second one seed to lose to a 16 seed in March Madness. Of course, the only other team that had done that is the Virginia Cavaliers, who ended up winning the whole thing the following year after losing to UMBC. So something to watch out for there, as well as some of the conference realignment already starting to take fruition in college basketball. We've seen some new additions to the Big 12, such as BYU and Houston, as I just mentioned. Both those teams are ranked in the top 25 and should uh, provide added excitement in what has been one of the best conferences in basketball over the past 10, 12 years. So now you'll have teams like Houston and BYU competing night in, night out with your Kansases, Oklahomas, Baylors, Texas, et cetera. So looking forward to that. Topic number three is also sticking with college basketball. That'll be a common theme whenever I I, uh, run this intro. Blake Hinson, um, if you guys don't know him, he's a guard for Pitt. Went seven for seven on threes against Duke. This past Saturday had 24 points and an upset win for the Pitt Panthers over the Duke Blue Devils. It was the first time that Pitt has gone into Cameron Indoor and won in 45 years. But I don't really want to talk so much about the game itself or even Blake Henson's performance. I want to talk about what he did after the game and get our listeners' opinions on it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, you can go on YouTube, watch the video. But uh, in short, after the victory, Blake Henson went over to the scores table right in front of the Cameron Crazies, uh, one of the toughest student sections in college basketball, hopped on the scores table and started jawing with the student section. Now, some of the old heads in 
you know, your, your sports review have been saying that this is classless or, you know, act like you've been there before. But I don't want to jump to that conclusion. I want to see what our listeners think. So I'd love to get the opinions. Please DM um, at the, one of our many social media sites, either on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, and let us know what you think. Was it too much from Blake Henson? Uh, was it overblown? Was it classless? Or was it maybe the perfect gesture to uh, jumpstart a pit team that's 11-7 and seven that made the NCAA tournament last year, but adds a very disappointed first half of the season so far? So interested to see what people's opinions are on that. Topic number four, uh, let's talk some baseball real quick. There's some big names out there that uh, still need to be signed. Of those, uh, some of the highlights are Cody Bellinger, Reese Hoskins, Blake Snell, still looking for deals. Um, I say this and I bring baseball into the discussion because uh, tonight Pittsburgh Pirates just signed Aroldis Chapman to a one-year $10.5 million deal, which me as a Pirate fan, I certainly didn't see coming. But it got me thinking, uh, what are these other guys that are still out there going to command? Are they going to have higher value by waiting longer or they're going to lose out on some money in their contract? So love to see what our listeners think for who might be the next big name signed in the MLB. Of course, pitchers and catchers reporting in a little bit under a month. So we're not going to be talking too much baseball over the next couple weeks, but wanted to throw this little topic out there for our friends who love to talk around the diamond more than any other. And then lastly, believe it or not, uh, despite the fact that I am not the resident NBA guy on the fifth and long podcast, I have to talk about the incredible incredible performances of both Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid tonight happened while we were recording our podcast we didn't really get too much of a chance to mention it during the recording itself but Embiid put up 70 and Carl Anthony Towns put up 62 uh Cat actually had 44 in the first half and that was all in a losing effort um, from Minnesota as they lost 128 to 125 to Charlotte. Embiid, of course, one of the best players in basketball. Philadelphia was able to get a win over Victor Wembenyama and the San Antonio Spurs. But I thought it was uh, noteworthy to shout out those two performances um, among the highest combined points ever in the NBA, um, some of the highest that we've seen in, in 40 plus years. So uh, for two guys combining on one night, Joel Embiid was 70, Carl Anthony Towns again was 62. Uh, but without further ado, uh, those are my, my five pertinent things in sports right now. Let's turn it over to myself and Patrick DeMar as we break down the NFL Divisional Round Recap. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, fifth and long fans, welcome back to the show. Patrick DeMar here with Paul uh, Kamish Kashak, the Kamish, however you want to phrase it. Paul, my man, insane football weekends, some great games in this one, uh, some Disappointing results for Cinderella story teams. We had some expected results as well uh, in a manner of ways. Maybe we didn't get to those results exactly how we expected, but they still happened. What was, what was your favorite part of this past chip of this past uh, playoff weekend in the NFL? Forget like going through all the games individually. What was one particular moment from a specific game? That was your favorite part of football this weekend. I don't know if I could pick one particular moment. I mean, uh, I loved what I saw from the Chiefs-Bills game, just how back and forth that one was. Uh, I think it'd be cruel for me to say that Tyler Bass's missed field goal was my favorite moment, just uh, for the sake of Bills fans. But I did have to chuckle a little bit when when he missed wide right, um, you know, as <laughs> the Bills are too all too familiar with the term wide right. And it was just another devastating loss for, for the Bills franchise. So, uh, you know, that that was interesting to see there. And then I think in general, just the Lions finding another, finding a way to win again. 
um, when they intercepted that ball off of Baker Mayfield to pretty much seal the deal there. Just seeing all the towels waving and everybody in the city of Detroit getting behind their team once again. It was just really, really cool to see. And, uh, you know, those guys are pumped there. And like I said, I don't think that they're they're done. There ain't no stopping them now. So they're they're on their way to San Francisco. And I couldn't be happier for them just objectively as a, a fan whose team isn't in the mix anymore. I guess those are the two moments that stick out to me more than any. My favorite moment is also from that game. And it's definitely Jason Kelsey hanging out of the window. Oh, pissed, that's a good one, too. Pissed drunk and shirtless in sub-freezing temperatures in Buffalo, just bellowing to the Bills crowd after his brother scores a touchdown. That was sweet because we talked last week about – You called it. You called yeah, it, yeah, him up I, in the press box. I figured he would be there if if Taylor was going to go, he's going to go too. Why not? Bring the whole family. I've seen him support his brother in games like that before where his team was no longer in it. So that's – I know I've like hated on the whole Swifts thing for a while and not gonna lie i saw some memes on twitter involving taylor swift and jason kelsey that made me very uncomfortable um i wish i could unsee some of those to be honest but seeing him hanging out the window that was pretty funny i was just like if i could have if we were doing family feud style how i would have guessed jason kelsey making an appearance in that game that probably would have been my number one guess (laughs) I love that he went all in. Yeah. With the no shirt, man, Buffalo ain't too cold for him. He was actually getting down. Uh, he kind of left the, the box at one point he was actually sitting and talking right with the the bills fans that were, were jeering him throughout the contest. So that was good. He was man of the people there as well. Um, I, I think that they probably all those bills fans that were, were giving him some crap earlier. Uh, I think that they probably turned and were, were pretty nice to him seeing how big that dude is and how he could probably beat them up all pretty easily. But yeah, that, that was cool to see. Do you think, he put down as many or more beers as the Chiefs scored in this game? Because I've heard that he can put down 20 like easy. Uh, that's interesting there. I, I wouldn't say that he put down 27 beers. What, the Chiefs scored 27 points? I don't think he quite got to the 27 mark. but During I mean, the course bit- of the whole day? Um, I don't know how much he was drinking before the, before the game. I mean, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to there. assume his drinking. Habits. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't see his family there. So I, I assumed that he was probably just there by himself and he didn't really have to, to worry about being a dad for, for the day, the remainder of the game. So I would say during the duration of the game, I mean, the dude's probably put down, he probably put down what three, four beers a quarter at least. So he's probably sitting around 15 ish, 15, 16 oh, come on. with commercial breaks during the game. Well, I don't know how much he's putting away, you know, I mean, he, he's going to focus on the game while the game's actually in action, especially when the chiefs are on offense and watching his brother. Oh, he's, 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 he's trying to compensate up there. We'll see. I, I don't know if we ever get Jason Kelsey on the podcast. How about you and I set an over under right now for beers drank that day? What, what, do you, what are we putting the line at? I'm going I think he would have killed a whole case. And I think after they won, he probably did an extra like five or six in the suite before they left just out of celebration. So I'm going to put him at a crisp 30. All right. I'll take, I'll take, uh, I'll take the under then we'll, we'll put it at like somewhere like 27, 27 and a half. You can take the over. I'll take the under. Yeah. Let's just go with their points over under 26. I'll I'll take under 27 beers. You can take over and we'll have to get him on the podcast to, uh, to see who wins this wager between us. Or I'll just tweet at him every day until he responds to me. Yeah, well, we'll I feel see. Like, I feel like that could be an effective way of getting him on the show, actually. Um, yeah, final score of this one, Chiefs 27, Bills 24. This was... 
I was so on the fence on this game when we made our picks because I figured there would be some voodoo type shit coming from each team. We had the fumble out of bounds uh, that gave the Bills the ball back. We had a Damar Hamlin Disney movie style fake punt that didn't work, <laughs> which now there's no way he can get the comeback player of the year award. If he does, and that's the last thing everybody's going to remember from the guy this year, that's that's kind of sad. Even even though it's pretty cool, he's not you know dead and he's able to, to play. That's a terrible way of putting it. I'm, I'm glad he's healthy and playing, but it was kind of comical just that whole situation as well, right? Well, I uh, didn't expect to be us to start off with the, the fake punt right off the bat, but I did hear that the Chiefs only, and I can't confirm this, but I've heard from people on the radio today that Chiefs, it's believed that the Chiefs only had 10 players out yeah, on they the, did. their special That's correct. teams unit. Yeah, they and only so, had 10 players on that play. So the thought process on the fake punt there is that the Bills were originally just going to punt the ball away like normal somebody or maybe the whole unit in general realized that there were only 10 guys out on the field for the chiefs and they checked into that, that play call that direct snap to Hamlin. Now I it's, it's not going to be as widely debated about the, the right versus wrong in this play call, because in essence, you mentioned that, that McCall Hardman fumble a little bit later, the, it was kind of all a moot point because the chiefs yeah. ended up fumbling the ball. The bills kind of got it at their own 20 and it was all kind of like nothing ever really happened. But even the, if you think you have an edge and you think the Chiefs only got 10 guys there, I, I still don't really like that that check that deep in your own end and you still have five yards to go. I you know I, I don't want a play that significant and that crucial to kind of be decided by an audible when the guy calling the audible isn't Josh Allen, you know? So I I think that it, it looked a little bit stupider than it probably actually was in, in real time. Uh, you called it kind of a, a Disney-style play. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. DeMar Hamlin didn't look particularly quick on the plays either. And I thought maybe he was caught slightly off guard when he actually got the direct snap. So maybe it was a late check. I don't know once again, but uh, regardless, despite how many players the chiefs did or didn't have out there, they were ready for it. They stuffed it. I thought it was a poor coaching move in general on McDermott. I have plenty more to say on him going forward, but that's my opinion on the, on the fourth down go for it. Well, let's talk about McDermott. Cause I, I want to talk about him as well. And the way I see it is, I don't know if, Buffalo dealt with a myriad of in of injuries, especially on their defense at the end of the year. If they have just one healthy linebacker that wasn't on the verge of retirement to, to cover Kelsey or the middle area of the field, maybe he has one touchdown instead of two. I'm not saying he doesn't have an awesome game because this was another thing we talked about in order for the chiefs to win this one. Kelsey was going to have to show up down the stretch and just have a few hall of fame worthy plays, which he certainly did. But I'm not blaming this fully on McDermott. And I sort of, I had to think about it this way, right? Putting myself in the shoes of a Buffalo fan. If he were to leave Buffalo for one reason or another and go and coach another team in their division, how would the Bills feel about it? Because I, if I were a Bills fan, I would, I would feel nervous. Like if the Jets crash and burn next year and McDermott ends up the head coach of New York, they, they draft a QB, bring somebody in, whatever, like, I would not be a fan of having to face that. I don't think there's, I don't think he's a top coach in the league, but I don't think there's many guys available that are as good or better than him. Yes, I know there's Belichick, there's Harbaugh, but I don't, I don't know if it's the right call to make a move off him. I don't know if he's the full 
issue, you know? Uh, I, I disagree here. I, I think it's time to move off from McDermott. Uh, I'm pretty harsh when it comes to judging coaches. You, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can say that again that with, with my opinion of Tomlin and everything, but look, I mean, over the past four or five years, basically with the bills, it's been the same old story. You know, they've got an elite team. I know they had some injuries at this point in the year, but everybody deals with injuries. They've got a Super Bowl caliber roster pretty much every year for the past five years. They have an elite quarterback and they still, one way or another, find a way to lose in the playoffs. It's little things here and there. You know, it's Josh Allen not making a throw to Khalil Shakir when he he had that open touchdown. They got to settle for a field goal. It's the stuff like going for the fake punt there on the fourth and five. It's finding a way to let the Chiefs tie the game with only 13 seconds to go after you have a field goal lead. Of course, referencing the 13-second game from two years ago in Arrowhead. Maybe it was three years ago at this point. It's little things like that that, you know, the Bills, like they make they make little mistakes like that throughout the game. And I think teams like the Chiefs have it cleaned up tighter. And I, something has to change with Buffalo because they're not going to move off the quarterback. And I thought I thought Allen was pretty damn good again in this game. Um, he was great with his legs. He only threw for 186 yards, but added 72 on the ground. You're obviously not going to move off the quarterback. So what does that leave? To me, leaves the head coach because right now Buffalo's stagnant. They are just uh, maybe win one game in the playoffs and then a divisional round loss. Maybe they get to the conference championship if the road is easy, but they're losing to all these other teams they have to deal with in the AFC year in and year out. And the road's only going to get tougher. You know, CJ Stroud and the Texans are going to be better next year. Burrow is going to be back healthy, and Mahomes is always going to be Mahomes. You got Lamar Jackson to worry about. So I don't know if and when it's ever going to happen for Buffalo. But I know they're not moving off the quarterback and they got to make some change. And I think it's got to come down at the head coaching position when you're not progressing and getting better year to year. I think you got to do something. It's it's a tough road, but I think the expectations have to be higher in Buffalo. And I think that they need to make a change with McDermott. I, I already expressed that I would keep him. I don't think he is the biggest issue. I, I don't think he's helping in some ways that that punt call if it was just check two on the field i feel like he still has to okay that to some respect you know or yeah i mean well, signal it in whatever that, yeah they're still putting that practice they're still like talking about that in practice you know yeah. they're still they're still he's like giving even if he didn't get the okay in the headset before that check was actually made that's something that you go through in practice and that's something a coach is responsible for even putting that check in place you know right but even still i mean that was an awful decision to go for it in his own end that late in the game i i couldn't believe it the first thing i thought of of course was that champion that afc championship game the patriots had against the colts in indianapolis where we went for it fourth down and two in our own end didn't work out the colts won the game in pretty quick fashion after i still feel though that i mean they only stopped them one time on defense they only forced one punt they had that fumble as well but they were so banged up, especially in, in the middle part of their field. Uh, they didn't get any pressure on Mahomes really at all. He was scrambling around the defense anytime he had to. Um, also, I, I, to that point, this was the most mobile I've seen. This postseason is the most mobile I feel like I've seen Mahomes in a while. Like We didn't really see him flash his legs a lot last year or the year before because he was banged up. He had that ankle injury, but having that aspect to his game back makes him so much more dangerous. Um, but no, I, I mean, there was the missed field goal, which 
which I'm not putting this all on Tyler Bass either. He's he's a he's a South Carolina native, uh, former Dutch Fork Silver Fox, which is an absolute powerhouse in the Palmetto State. Um, Stefan Diggs had an awful game, total no show. He had he dropped an like an easy touchdown ball. Um, sure did. He had a couple of drops. And that was game. a beautiful throw from Allen as well. Yeah. Like, how do you – you can't drop that ball. This guy's disappeared all year, okay? There was more – no, there was as many incompletions on Stephon Diggs' targets in this game as there have been Khalil Shakir targets in the last eight weeks, okay? So this guy is set to make a lot of money over the next four years in Buffalo. He's already 30 years old. There's some talk now whether or not he's even going to be with the team next year because Gabe Davis is going to be a free agent, right? They're also losing other veteran players to free agency in uh, Jordan Poyer, uh, or excuse me, Micah Hyde, but Jordan Poyer is getting up there as well in age. Tredavious White is getting up there. Vaughn Miller didn't have a single sack this year, and he's like 35. So to me, I think they have an old injury prone roster they don't have enough depth they don't have enough guys that they can count on this time of year which you need if you're going to go through a Mahomes especially in Buffalo which is the coldest freaking city in the league like guys are already banged up enough to that point after what uh this is your 20th game now of the season almost right 17 18 yeah 19 19th game of the season sorry I was one off um, yeah, durability is huge, man. And I understand injuries are part of it, but I think some of that comes down to the personnel that you have, right? They, the reality of it is they have an aging roster and their championship window is getting smaller and smaller because pretty soon Josh Allen's going to be making more money too, with that lucrative extension they have. So they need to find a way to retool this roster. In my opinion, I think you're going to see a lot of changes just in terms of who's actually suiting up on the field for them. Uh, I think that will be the more drastic switch they go to much quicker than they will uh, go away from McDermott, in my opinion, because you think about it this way too. Josh Allen doesn't have his rise to who he is without McDermott and Dayball in, in the first place. And I know Dayball's now in, in New York, obviously, but there may be some worry in that building. Well, Maybe this guy's the Josh Allen whisperer. What happens if we go away from him? So I've heard it said so many times by guys in the league, the grass isn't always greener on the other side when it comes to head coaches. I don't think McDermott is one of the best coaches in the league, but I don't think there's many guys you should go after to replace him with either. Like if they can bring in a Harbaugh, great. But I don't know if they can. That would be the one guy I would really sell out for if they were going to go for that move. But otherwise, I don't know if it's worth it this offseason. Well, a couple of things to digest there. I'll make my points on McDermott, and then I want to transition into talking about Stephon Diggs because I do have a, an opinion or two about him as well. I don't really like this argument that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Is what Buffalo is doing right now sufficient enough? They're a really good regular season team every year that can't get over the hump in the playoffs. You know, I – Right now, the grass isn't green enough the way things are right now. I know that they win a lot of games during the regular season, and they are always competitive, but they're clearly not good enough right now. So why not try for something? If it backfires and, and you don't win the division or you're just a wild card team, 
okay, fine. But I think that you have to admit that what they're doing right now, the process isn't good enough. Because like I said, Burrow will be back next year. Stroud will be back. And you make a great point about that cap hit as well. That is, it's 40 mil. And I think that all of this, you can get some new personnel and that can include the head coach. So that's that's like my my final thought on, well, on McDermott there. I would say like it's the second most successful stretch of the franchise's history outside of the the years where they, they missed they lost four consecutive Super Bowls, one of the last one of which had that first wide right field goal. So you look at the franchise otherwise, they just don't have a ton of success to to show for it. And if you replace McDermott and with then you probably you probably lose Allen as a result. So I I really I don't think so. What I, what's your what's your basis for saying that they'll lose Allen if they replace McDermott? He's going to be 30 32 33 uh when his contract ex, uh comes up, he could easily go somewhere else. Right? Well sure, that that possibility exists whether McDermott's there or not. I, I don't really see how McDermott leaving automatically means It's like that I Allen said, Mc, McDermott was the guy that came in that was hand in stride with Allen's rise as as becoming this guy that he is. And I know he... And, and see, I don't know if I completely agree with that because I've heard just as many reports saying it was Brian Dayball that was actually the Josh Allen whisperer the whole time. And, and, and that was some when some of the struggles were going on early this year with the offense before they fired their OC and brought in Joe Brady, who I would like to give some praise to um in a in a little bit because i thought he did a good job on the back half what i was hearing that was this isn't quite the same offense without brian dable running the ship so again not in the locker room not up there in the press box not actually hearing what's going on maybe mcdermott had a, a large say in that as well but i have heard more frequently that it was brian dable actually doing the uh the quarterback whispering so to speak and there may be some merit to that there may be um personally i am still of the belief that I don't think Josh Allen is capable of winning a Super Bowl right now. Some people will really hate that I say that, but I just don't think like contextually John Elway didn't win his first Super Bowl until he was at the tail end of his career. Right. For some guys, it just takes a while. I'm not saying I don't think he'll ever win one. I just think right now he is not where he needs to be. And he, he also doesn't, I'm not making excuses for the guy, but we we talked about Diggs, and I'm, I want you to be able to go back to him. I don't think he has the supporting cast around him that he needs. Khalil Shakir, who who Khalil Shakir is his number one. Hey, I I target. gave Khalil Shakir a shout out on the preview episode yeah, last yeah. week. I said he could be involved. My I man's know. Khalil Shakir. Don't do dirty on Khalil Shakir. And I was saying back in week eight, week nine, this guy's going to be the next Gabe Davis, who again is a free agent this year. Who's he going to have to throw the ball to next year? Dawson Knox, or, or right? Like, well, Kincaid. Kincaid's the. I, I really like Kincaid as a as a rookie tight end. I do there, too. I think I think he'll evolve into something pretty good. Uh, top five tight end in the league going forward. So, but if you look at the timeline with their team, the last year of his contract, this roster is going to look completely different outside of maybe James Cook. It's going to be a totally different group of characters. Just look at the ages of everybody and. Ed Oliver, too, was a no-show yesterday. Their, their big draft pick out of Houston from way back when. I think he I don't even think he touched the quarterback once. He had like one assisted tackle in this game. So I, I just think it was a collective no-show from the team. A typical Bills choke, not being ready for, for the big moment against their true nemesis right now, which is the Kansas City Chiefs, who again just 
Like the AFC runs through Kansas City, even if they're not hosting, man. It's it's insane. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the AFC has for the past five, six years now run through Kansas City. And, and it really, even though they're going to Baltimore, it essentially is again this year. I want to touch on a point you mentioned about Josh Allen. Okay, so I don't completely disagree with you that I, I don't necessarily think he'll win a Super Bowl. I have actually been quoted to say on this podcast that I don't ever think he'll even play in a Super Bowl. That is less of an indictment on him and his talent level than the other quarterbacks that are there in the AFC. You know, I haven't heard anybody really mention Joe Burrow's name, and I I understand why him being hurt for the majority of the year. But, you know, Burrow beat Allen in his home building last year as well. So when that quarterback gets back in healthy next year, that's another guy who's proven that he can beat the Bills even on the road. You're always going to have to to realize he is the obvious third fiddle at this point. It's not the second. He's the third best quarterback in the AFC at best. I think I think this year some people have kind of gotten lulled back into thinking, okay, he's the one A to Mahomes or this number two to Mahomes is one. And really, when there's a healthy Burrow, it's it's Mahomes one, Burrow two, and then there's a gap uh, between Allen. And now you, you can throw Lamar into the mix a, as well with the season that he he's having. And then who knows what C.J. Stroud's going to turn into next year as well. So again, I think that there's just so much to deal with in the AFC. And that's not even talking about your boy Herbert or like, right. You know, Herbert gets some good coaching. I think that he could be right up there as well. Yeah. And you know, Trevor Lawrence, while he had an extremely down year this year and regressed big time, he, he was hurt. He was back up. up. Let, let me, let me finish this again. (laughs) Trevor Lawrence was competitive on the road in Arrowhead last year. Okay. And, and this year he was banged up with multiple injuries. Now, I'm not even saying that I think Lawrence is still the best quarterback in his own division, but we can't completely write him off either. I mean, he won a playoff yeah. game last year. He was in the divisional round, giving the Chiefs everything that they, they could possibly take. You know, you know how I feel about that playoff win. It, it, it was against Brandon Staley. That doesn't count. Hey, any playoff win counts, man. That's like winning a playoff game against a, a puppet as head coach. It just Well, then why did they have such a tough time doing it? I, that's it. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Chargers have a really talented roster. Um, The thing that gave me a little – something that made my eye twitch late at night after this game was watching Mahomes just, like, skip jumping out of uh, Buffalo Stadium, dodging snowballs after the win. He looked so happy. He looked like – Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was inviting those snowballs to be thrown at him. I mean, he played great. He's Mahomes. Dude, the whole talk this whole week was it's his first road playoff game. Like, oh, there's no way he's going to win. This is something he hasn't dealt with before. He was nails. It was insane. It wasn't like this was one of his better games and one of probably the biggest Chiefs playoff games in in his whole tenure there. Like, I I think it's one of his best wins because – like like we were talking about earlier, the Bills still played them within a field goal with all their injuries and missing players and, and shortcomings performance-wise. It's like they played the part as well, even though they didn't play as well as they could have, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is his biggest playoff win. I mean, It's not as big as, but I think it's one of them. He's won AF. Well, sure. I mean, it is the first road win. I mean, but he's won AFC championship games before games that have gone to the Super Bowls. He's won Super Bowls as well. So I would put all of those games above him. But yeah, I mean, he's pretty much flawless in this game. 17 of 23 for 215 and two touchdowns. And I love that he had trust 
in a guy like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who I need to talk about here because yeah. if you remember in the Eagles game, he dropped that long bomb that would have put the Chiefs ahead. It was like a 60 or 70 yard throw in the air and, and Valdez-Scantling has the ball go off of his hands right at the goal line. Yep. And that game against the Eagles at the midway point, which actually seemed to be uh, the start of the downfall for Philadelphia, that that was when the conversations really started happening Oh, Mahomes doesn't have the weapons. You know, the, it's it's really starting to catch up to him now. And even we got into a little bit on this podcast when I was like, just trust Mahomes. And, and you're like, how can you with with these guys around him? He can't trust these guys to make plays. Well, there were Valdez Scantling only had two catches in this one, but two very crucial catches opening up the first half. He throws Mahomes throws a beautiful ball. It's like 30, 40 yards in the air. And Valdez Scantling makes a contested catch and ends up setting up. They got down within the Buffalo red zone in like two or three plays. And that was a big reason why they come right out of the half and they score there. And then he had another big 30 yard play to put them in the red zone on one of their other touchdown drives. It was a, a throw kind of just outside the numbers that Valdez Scantling caught and took a big hit. I thought that showed trust in him to go to him in those situations. I thought he came up big and actually Valdez Scantling was open on the a throw that one of the throws that Mahomes missed, one of his only missed throws of the day. I believe it was the drive in which Kansas City ended up settling for their second field goal. He had Valdez Scantling on like an out route uh, in the middle of the end zone and he just overshot him. So I thought that that guy, you know, we talk about can can guys besides Kelsey step up and make plays. Well, Rashid Rice has done that. He did that last week. He had a couple catches here today. But you go back and, and a good quarterback will go back to a receiver, even if they've made mistakes. He had trust in Valdez Scantling to make a couple big catches, not many, but a couple big catches throughout the game. And that's what good quarterbacks and elite quarterbacks do is they find ways to get the ball to everybody, really. I mean, Kelsey led the led the box score and catches here, but yeah. he only had five. Like the ball was spread around pretty, pretty evenly. And I, that's what great quarterbacks do. They're going to take what the defense gives them and find whatever option is open. Well, it's not just uh, MVS either that is contributing slightly. Uh, the way I've looked at it now is they found a way. It's, I feel like it's so crucial in games like this for him, for MVS not to necessarily fill up the stat sheet with like six, seven grabs. But it's like he went two for 62. He made a couple big plays in this game. And it's that to make that, those crucial catches here and yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And and you have the same thing from Noah Gray, who every once in a while, like pretty much every game, you can count on him for three or four grabs just to take the load off Kelsey a little bit. He is a very um he's a good tight end, but nobody talks about him because he's on the same team as Travis Kelsey. Like he's, he's not a bad, he's not a bad guy for Mahomes to throw to. I I still don't think they quite have the star power of recent years, but I think that Andy Reed has now gotten to a point where he knows who the guys are that he can trust. And that's who he's getting the ball to. Uh, Kadarius Tony was hurt quote unquote and missed this game. <laughs> I think they told him to just miss the bus <laughs> on the way. Maybe to the so airport. dude. Yeah. Um, healthy scratch exactly but uh, the biggest thing that i really thought about after this game was what you mentioned going into it which was you proclaimed that whoever won the rushing matchup between pacheco and cook was going to dictate who won this game and you were totally right pacheco 15 carries for 97 yards james cook 18 for 61 so cook actually touched the ball more but it was Pacheco's ability on the ground to break off those big runs 
and put pressure on the defense at the line of scrimmage that gave Mahomes and some of these less dangerous pass catching weapons, the ability to exploit the Buffalo secondary. And that can't be remiss with this team. I I was saying a few weeks ago, his coming back and being healthy for this lineup is an underspoken, but crucial part of this offense. They're not the same team without him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I said again, yeah, Pacheco, versus Cook would be a huge matchup in this one. And while the Bills did have more total rushing yards as a team, the Chiefs were able to actually utilize their running backs better. And a lot of the the rushing stats skewed slightly in Buffalo's favor as a team just because Josh Allen ran the ball far more than Patrick Mahomes did. I want to uh, give you this line on James Cook, who had 67 rushing yards going into the fourth quarter. He was running the ball very well. I thought Buffalo ran the ball exceptionally on their touchdown drive in the third quarter. They were gashing the Chiefs right up the middle pretty much. And Cook was a big part of that. He had 67 rushing yards entering the fourth quarter. His final four carries of the game went for negative four yards, negative three yards, zero yards, and one yard. He finished with 61 yards. I mean, how about that Chiefs defense to really shut him down in the fourth quarter when it matters the most? And oh, by the way, his uh, rushing yards prop for this game was 61 and a half. That's a little tidbit there for our betters. So he actually had negative rushing yards in the game to hit his under in rushing for for the game. Negative rushing yards in the fourth quarter, excuse me, to hit his, his rushing under total for the game. Yeah, I thought Pacheco ran possessed on the Kansas City side, as he always does. Dude just runs so hard. And it, it gave them another huge element to their game that's that's crucial. And I don't think that they had that running game last year. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I don't think he's ever lived up to his first-round draft status, but he mixes in two carries for 31 yards himself here. And you mentioned Mahomes' scrambling ability. So this is a team that that has multiple dimensions, and they have a, a couple other weapons in the past game that are stepping up besides Kelsey. It is scary that, you know, of course, they they start to find their rhythm and play their best football at the most perfect time in the playoffs. And I think a large large part of that is obviously attributed to Mahomes, but you have to give Andy Reid a little bit of credit as well. Isaiah Pacheco, the 251st pick of the 2022 draft, seventh rounder out of Rutgers. And he is now like one of the more explosive running backs in the league. Just when you watch him play, he, he missed some games this year. So he doesn't like show up a ton in terms of league leaders and stats, but he's good, man. He's good. Yeah, he's got to make sure he doesn't punch anybody like he did. But <laughs> I mean, other than that, yeah, I think he's doing pretty good out there. He's like a Mortal Kombat character, <laughs> yeah. even with the way he runs. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I've heard so many analogies for the way he runs. They, they call it being angry at the ground. I, I don't know whatever you want to call it, but that man is like... It's just Naruto running. I would not want to get in front of him when he's got a full head of steam going downhill. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Um, The last last note I'll touch on is right before Tyler Bass missed that kick, they showed a graphic on the screen that he was 9 for 9 in his career on field goals in the fourth quarter or the last two minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime that were to tie or win the game. And as soon as they flashed that graphic, I was like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. <laughs> if you look at the first couple frames of the kick, it's going right down the middle. And then the wind just, the wind just takes it. Yeah. There's there's a, a million people at home with their fans pointed to the right side of the screen or something. <laughs> and the, the football just, 
absolutely tailspins to the other side. I felt so bad for him, man. That was like, it wasn't, it wasn't his fault, but of course he's going to get clipped and that's who people are going to blame it on. And then you saw the heartbreaking moment after the game where Allen like gives him a little light hug walking back into the tunnel afterwards. And I don't know. You just have to wonder like how many times, how many more times is this going to happen in Buffalo where they have these gut punch moments to the fan base to end their season? Like there's ending your season and then there's a kick to the dick to end your season, you know, and, and they've had kick after kick after kick. And they're like Connor McGregor at, in his peak kicks at this point. I think it's, it's the most taxing job to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills. I think it is, it has got to be the most difficult thing, the most difficult franchise to be a fan of if, if, if you are out there. I really, I say that as a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. I'd rather be a Pirate fan every day of the week, twice on Sunday, than a Buffalo Bills fan because of the way that they have lost some of these games in gut-wrenching fashion over the years. And then the four Super Bowl losses back in the 90s. I, I don't know how they do it. That is a dedicated fan base, though. They always show out. Their tailgates are legendary. They're throwing snowballs all over the place. I mean, I feel for them because I, I know how much hurt that city's probably feeling right now, and I know how much they love the Buffalo Bills. But that is, you are right. There is no other way to say it besides gut-wrenching, kick-in-the-dick type losses. What about the Ravens-Texans game? Did we, we've I feel like the time we just dedicated to Chiefs-Bills was certainly – worth the game you know and, and and the situation and everything but there was another pretty big afc game too that was a little bit of a dud actually I, both you and i i certainly was hoping this was a closer game and it really was not at all at all 34 10 final score baltimore advances they will host the kansas city chiefs for the right to play in the super bowl what was your immediate thoughts watching this game Baltimore looked about as good as they could. You know, they came out with their A game a little bit rusty in the first half, I would say, 10-10. I didn't think Lamar did anything bad in the first half, but I thought Houston's pass rush was able to get home a couple times, stall out a couple drives, and then obviously the Texans got that fortunate punt return for a touchdown. So at the half, I'm thinking, okay, Baltimore looks a little bit rusty. I'm not looking so dumb on my prediction, but man, well-coached teams, they're able to make some small adjustments at the half and Baltimore just took off running after that. I just thought like I took away from that, that Houston expended all the energy they possibly could to keep the game where it was in the first half. And Baltimore was, was just revving up and just getting ready to go. So Baltimore, you know, certainly picked up right where they left off in the regular season. And they absolutely look like the best team in football right now. I, I got a text from a very loyal listener of the show who's a who's a diehard Ravens fan who uh, he just texted me after the game. He goes, so 50 percent chance for the Texans, huh? Question mark. And I mean, I I, I got to eat it. That was a, a bad prediction. This was team win. Defense was great. Lamar was phenomenal. You guys aren't going to hear me say this too much about the Ravens, but they really didn't have a flaw in their game. And that's that's scary. Yeah, I was. uh I mean, even I overshot the Texans' chances. What did I say? I, I gave him like 40, I think you gave 45%. Him like 40. Yeah, you gave yeah. him only a little bit lower than me. I, and it was pretty much exactly what I thought, too. I just didn't think they, CJ was going to have anybody open the whole game, and he pretty much didn't. I mean, he was getting pressured all game. His windows to throw the ball and how much time he actually had to get the throws off was significantly less. And I saw a stat, actually, that Baltimore 
was the only team all season to not allow the Texans to score an offensive touchdown. And they did it both times they played them. Wow. Both times. It, it, it was week one, and then the last game they played of the year. And you and I kind of alluded to this earlier in the year. How, how poetic would it be if CJ could have this insane performance in this game? But it was not easy for this group. The, the only touchdown they had was on that punt return touchdown, which I actually thought was really cool when it happened. I was like, oh, you know what? I really miss Devin Hester. That was the first thing I thought of in my head as, as the touchdown happened. Yeah, I like I said, I thought that they had a chance to to really keep things close. I thought it was a nice little momentum builder at the end of the half, but you're right. I mean, that defense was just too much. I thought the few times that Stroud was actually able to have a little bit of protection, he made throws. Like there wasn't a time where I can't at least recall off the top of my head where he had time to sit back there in the pocket survey go through his progressions and then just miss a throw yeah i just thought you were right i just thought baltimore chased him out of the pocket plenty of times he was on the run and you're right the, the guys just weren't athletic enough you know nico collins i thought did what he could at times dalton schultz as well but those guys just weren't athletic enough to match up with the guys that the ravens had uh in the secondary so I mean, just phenomenal from from what Baltimore is able to do and the run game, man. The run game has never been the Texans' strength, but I mean, Baltimore completely shut it down, forced them to be completely one dimensional. All you got to do, Singletary, nine carries for twenty two yards, and they they really they had to abandon the run early because not that they fell behind right away, but they are just getting zero and negative yards on these carries that you just couldn't stick to it because it's going to put your young quarterback in third and longs. So you had to have him drop back a bunch of times. It's just not a recipe for success. I give a lot of credit to those linebackers. They got there. Roquan Smith, Patrick queen. It's, I think it's maybe the best middle linebacker duo in football. And, definitely, you know, definitely. I mean, what else can you expect? I was more impressed with Baltimore's ability to control the trenches on both sides of the football than anything else. I think Baltimore's defensive unit is the best unit of either side of the football in football. Like I think in the NFL, Baltimore's defense is the single best side of the football of any team in the league. And and that even counts I hear San you. Francisco's offensive players too, because just go back to that game where they where they played and Baltimore dominated them. That was everybody was healthy on that Niners team and they didn't have a chance in this game. Now maybe San Fran gets an opportunity to to rehash that game and and um get their revenge. We'll we'll talk about that later in the week when we do our preview and uh predictions episode, but yeah, this was the more ugly the game got in the second half, the Dumber, I fell for even thinking this game was going to be close to, to any extent. Um, and it, it got it got ugly. Baltimore had 229 yards on the ground. And they had, I think, over half of that in the second half. Um, Dalvin Cook gives them another added weapon where now they have this four-headed monster in the backfield where even though Justice Hill and Gus Edwards aren't like premier running backs there's still guys that can beat you and can have good games so you have to have something in your game plan to account for all three of those guys in the different ways they have impact the game because they're all a, a little bit different from the other and then you have lamar himself who now is like a he's an elite passer now too 
it's not just the running aspect of his game. Like he can throw the football. He was, did you see that in this game, he became the first quarterback in NFL history to have a hundred plus passing yards, a hundred plus rushing yards, a hundred plus passer rating, two passing touchdowns and touch two rushing touchdowns all in one game. I didn't see that stat specifically. It's a very specific stat, but I, I mean, I, I have a tough time believing that there's a long list of quarterbacks that have done that in a single game. So I'm not too surprised when you, you throw that out there. I am really interested to see how this chiefs Ravens game goes. This is a landmark NFL game for the legacy of both guys, especially Lamar, especially Lamar. I don't think we haven't seen them match up in a playoff game against each other yet. Right. Don't. Uh, They've matched up a couple times. I'd have to double check that. Uh, there might have been divisional round game. No, maybe not. I think you're probably right. I think that uh, this might be their first playoff meeting. I know that they've met plenty of times in, in the regular season. And you're right. It, it is going to be a bigger legacy game for Lamar because Mahomes, I mean, he's been there before. He's got two Super Bowls already. This is his sixth straight AFC championship game. So, I mean, Mahomes has been there, done that. And no one's going to think less of Mahomes if he's not able to pull this win out. But Lamar, I think there's still plenty on the table. I think that we've now the notion that he can't win a playoff game or that he's not good in the playoffs. I think that this game against Houston kind of debunked that. He's now two and three in the playoffs, and he was dominant in this game. And a large part of that was due to his legs, but you also mentioned he was very efficient throwing the ball. He didn't have to make any crazy throws. I thought the intermediate pass game, the 10 to 12-yard pass game, was really what they were striving for, and he hit every throw pretty much. 16 of 22 for 152 here. Um, but if Lamar can use his legs in that game against Kansas city, that's going to be the difference because I didn't think Houston did a good job of spying Lamar. I didn't think that they had a good job. Did I did not think they did a good job of containing him and they didn't, they didn't have an answer for him at the linebacker level at the second level on defense too many times. Lamar was just able to go right up the gut for like 15, 20, 30 yard gains. And there was just really nobody there in the middle of the defense for Houston. So I think that that's something that D'Amico Ryans will have to get cleaned up for next year um, and potentially when they might face Lamar either in the regular season or the playoffs in 2024, 2025. But um, Kansas City will also have to figure out what they need to do from, from their defensive perspective to contain Lamar, not just within the pocket, but also once he breaks the pocket, making sure that those 15 and 20 yard runs turn into like five, 10 yard runs, you know? So it, it'll be huge. It, it'll be a great quarterback matchup. We'll see. I, I mean, I am going to lean Mahomes probably, and I'm sure our, our Ravens listeners will get mad at me again or maybe happy because as I keep as I keep downplaying the Ravens, they keep winning. But um, that'll be a treat. That should be a treat for everybody. Yeah, I think that has some – that game has some greatness potential on both sides of it for sure. The other two takeaways I had were – you kind of alluded to this with the intermediate passing game. Um, Lamar was just making really quick decisions in in these passing situations, whether he was going to tuck it and run or whether he was going to get the ball out of his hands. There weren't a lot of situations where he was like progressing through all of his reads, but I'm not using that as a knock. I think it was more because he knew exactly what he was going to do with the ball before the ball was snapped. I, I just think he was playing with conviction where that's like what you have to do in these games, Mahomes does it all the time. Like, I am very impressed with how he's developed in that aspect, and that's going to need to be key for the Ravens to have another good performance offensively next week because 
that chief secondary, that's they're not to be slept on either. Um, so I, I, I would be very aware of that if I were on the Ravens side, but going into the half when they were tied, Lamar apparently was like screaming at everybody in the locker room, like cursing, flying expletives, whatever. Remember there was the Texans missed field goal just before the half. So momentum might've switched just a hair, but after that, it was full steam ahead. And I, and I kind of likened this to a game of Monopoly. Like, what if they used their inspiring halftime locker room speech card too early? You know, like, I don't really think you can use one of those against Mahomes and win. <laughs> uh, I, I also would feel the same about probably the Niners as well, maybe. Although Purdy's got a little bit of something to him where maybe you can mount a comeback against him. I don't know. Who knows? But definitely not against Mahomes because that's who they're playing next week. You can't afford to have the same kind of sleepy first half performance they had in this game. Yeah, it will be punished if they if they come out as slow as they did in in the game next week, uh, as they did here against the Texans in the divisional round. But I think that you can attribute at least part of that. I mean, consider the fact that Baltimore hadn't the starters at least hadn't really played in two full weeks because they had the bye. And then the week before that, they rested most of their guys against Pittsburgh. So I think that it's reasonable to, to say that that was probably just rust. Um, but that's a great point. You know, Lamar, again, I mean, I think you can see how much it means to him, how much of a leader he is on that team and how much those guys trust him. I'm sure that everybody, you know, thought it was completely warranted for him to get in their face. And it clearly worked, you know, like you said, I mean, all you have to do is look at the first half splits compared to the second half and a small little decision that ultimately it didn't make a difference in the game, but going off of Baltimore starting off hot because they did score a touchdown right on their, their opening drive of the second half. I thought it was a little bit ill-advised for D'Amico Ryans to, to take the ball after winning the coin toss to start the game. I think you always want to defer in that situation. I would have wanted to put Baltimore out there after not being in a real game situation with those starters for, for over two weeks. So I would have wanted Baltimore to have the ball first. D'Amico, I think, got a, a little bit emotional there um, and, and took it, and it, it backfired on Houston. They didn't score to start the game off, and then Baltimore gets the ball and, and just kind of runs it right down their throat to start the second half. So a uh, small thing there, but uh, was something I wanted to mention. Well, let's move on to the NFC side of things now because I think these were these were the better – we, we talked about it. Baltimore Houston was a little bit of a dud. These were two pretty decent games. Uh, Niners Packers definitely had some serious entertainment value. 24, 21 final score. San Francisco wins in comeback fashion, comeback fashion. Green Bay was in control for a lot of this game. And Brock Purdy ends up getting his first ever fourth quarter comeback win. Um, Paul, when, first of all, did you still feel confident in the Niners going into the final stage of this game when they were trailing, when they were down uh, like they were? It's not like had, they were trailing by a ton of points, but. I still had more than 50% confidence that they would win the game, but I was certainly less confident than, you know, when things started off. I thought that they would, I thought that they would kind of control this game kind of like that they would serve the role that green bay did for a large portion of things that they would kind of be up by like roughly a touchdown most of the game probably not play perfectly but just kind of win handily in, in that respect 
And I was getting nervous when they were still trailing, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, but I still had more than 50% confidence because I thought green Bay had still made some mistakes after the missed field goal. And the fact that it's still, you know, a three point game there. I'm like, all right, I, I trust San Francisco got enough playmakers where, when, where they can make a play. And I think Purdy's getting a lot of, a lot of flack and people are, are being pretty critical of his performance. And by no means was it his best thought he missed plenty of throws, but yeah, ultimately, that's, that's not ultimately fair though. Ultimately, he led the game-winning drive. I mean, what what else do you want him to do? He made throws on the on the game-winning drive, and he led San Francisco to victory. So, I I think Purdy was still solid in this one, at least as solid as he needs to be. But yeah, I mean, my confidence was shaken a little bit. My confidence as San Francisco as a Super Bowl pick was obviously shaken, comparing their performance to what Baltimore looked like over the weekend. I, I don't know how you can't even somebody who's as biased as I am against the Ravens. You think that is more a testament just to who the Packers had at their disposal at their roster at the time, like just the depth of the team. They had everybody healthy. Um, no, I don't really think so. I mean, because I don't think that the Packers roster, even though they, they were pretty healthy. I don't think that the Packers roster is better than the Niners. Yeah. Debo gets hurt in this game, but no, I meant like comparing them to the Texans. Ooh, that's a, in that's terms a of question. opponents I'd... played. I misunderstood your question there. I guess slightly. I think that, you know, it's it's difficult to say, though, because I thought Houston's defense might have been a little bit better coming in. I'd have to look at the numbers. I know for a fact Houston is better against the run. And I was surprised big time. I thought Green Bay actually did a pretty damn good job of, of controlling McCaffrey in this game. He yeah, had the, played kind of okay. He, he had McCaffrey had the one 40 yard touchdown run, but other than that, he was held in check. His final uh, stat line is 17 for 98 and two touchdowns. I know that still is pretty damn good, but if you take away that, that 40 yard run where McCaffrey is able to get to the second level and just get past everybody, he's only got, you know, mid fifties rushing yards on what would have been 16 carries. Then if, if you do take away that long run by and large, I thought the Packers did a pretty good job defensively, which, which I was surprised at. I don't know. I think you're splitting hairs comparing their, them as a roster to to Houston because I think it's so similar. You've got uh, kind of a hodgepodge group of characters in terms of the skill position guys, and you have a very elite young quarterback. So in that sense, I don't think that there was enough of a difference between the Packers and Houston as a roster to warrant the large discrepancy in play between the Niners and Ravens, or at least the way it looked. Well, let's talk about that elite young quarterback because – I'm about to make the argument to you that Jordan Love's two interceptions are ultimately what cost the Packers this game. Like, he made more critical mistakes in this than Purdy did. The first interception, the throw to Kraft, was terrible. It was over his head and behind him. He's not catching that ball. That's why it was tipped and ultimately ultimately intercepted. And then the decision on that throw at the end of the game was terrible. That's That's like every quarterback from high school up is taught not to try to make that throw. So I, I don't, he's had an awesome season and it, I was really disappointed to see it end like that. And I, I think he's still going to have a good career, but I'm not quite as high on him in terms of like what people, some people are projecting his output is going to be next year as, as um, I'm not that high on that given that some people are projecting, you know what I'm saying? I hear where you're coming from. And, and look, those two interceptions. Yeah. I mean, that's difference in the game. You can, you can make a, 
a handful of things, you know, that the missed field goal as well. I mean, it's a team loss at the end of the day. I have no idea. I really have no idea what he was seeing on, on the final interception on the so on that last drive. I, that's like so triple, triple coverage. You're right. He's throwing across his body, rolling to his right. I, I don't know what the thought process was there at all. I just throw I, the ball away. Like sometimes yeah. the not making any play is better than forcing something and losing the game and ending your season. <laughs> Absolutely. Live to fight another down. And I like, that was one of the plays that was like so bad that it actually doesn't really make me worry about him as all at all, because <laughs> I just like, no, I, I here, here where I'm coming from on this, because I, I've seen Jordan love play enough now. Like he doesn't make decisions like that. I think maybe he got a little bit too caught up in the moment and he forced something just given the pressure of the situation. Okay. It's yeah. He didn't live up to the moment in that time. But I think when you look at his play throughout the, course of the game he was ready for this game he had green bay in a position to win you can argue that if carlson makes that field goal maybe they play overtime and maybe they still win maybe it's a different narrative so i'm not putting this all on jordan love's shoulders and you're right the throw the first interception to tucker craft was bad as well but outside of those two throws and i know that you can't you can't do this it's it's not fair to do this in an nfl game because you can't just take away two of the most impactful and crucial throws he had on the day but outside of those two throws, I thought he was phenomenal. I, I thought he made some great throws to Dobbs. There was one play where he was rolling left. It was about the five-minute mark of the of the first half. And he's rolling left. And, I mean, I tell you what, he throws across his body there and hits Dobbs perfectly right on the sideline in between two defenders. He still made some phenomenal plays. He was able to stand in the pocket and deliver down the field. It sucks that those two throws did un- end up, you know, kind of sealing the deal. And, and the, that last one looked so bad. But I don't my confidence on him for going into next year doesn't waver at all. I still think by and large, he lived up to the moment in this game for like 55, 56 minutes. And and you know what? It's his first playoff run, his only a second playoff game. He's still young. I think he's only going to get better. So I got complete confidence and love. He's still going to be my MVP pick going into next year. Wow. That's that's elite level confidence. I mean, you're basically banking on the Packers being the one seed next year. You know, like we, I sort of talked to you about this last week when you brought it up. I, I feel like that's a little, a little too ballsy of you. <laughs> I don't think they have to be the one seed. I, I think a lot of what it boils down to is just who, I think the biggest thing with the MVP is how good is the individual player themselves? The, their team has to be good as well. I, I agree on that. They're going to have to get into the playoffs and maybe win the division, but if the player's really good and there's not much else around him, like I think a guy has extremely high MVP case and MVP odds. If there just isn't a lot of skill position guys of big names around him, of which green Bay doesn't have that many. It's kind of, again, this hodgepodge of first and second year guys. I mean, look at Lamar. I mean, Zay flowers is coming on, but Andrews goes down and there's not many weapons. So I think that that's a large reason why he's going to be MVP this year, at least in perception of the voters. So I don't think he necessarily has to be the one seed, but you might have an argument that he he might need to win the NFC North, which I firmly believe the Packers will do next year. We had a touchdown or two from Christian McCaffrey in this game as well. If he gets one more touchdown this year, he will break Jerry Rice's franchise record for most scrimmage touchdowns in a single season. Wow, that's a good stat. I did not know that one. That's pretty crazy. Um I am. Remember what I said uh, a few weeks ago that the last 
true running back to lead a team to a Super Bowl was Terrell Davis for the Broncos. I feel like McCaffrey could be the next one. And some people have forgotten how good Davis was. He, he's not really considered like one of the elite backs in NFL history, but Broncos went back to back. I think Terrell Davis is pretty highly regarded. Yeah, he's but a he, fa- he's a Hall of Famer, I'm pretty sure. He is a Hall of Famer, yeah. but people don't talk about him in the same light as some other guys like Barry Sanders or, you know what I mean? Rightfully so as well because of other records Sanders had and, and whatnot. But um, I am of the opinion that I kind of forget where I was going with this. Um, You're talking that Terrell Davis isn't regarded quite as highly as some of these yeah, guys. Yeah, okay, talking okay. about how, how he led. Um, I, I think Christian McCaffrey is, is well on his way to becoming – the best running back in the history of the game. If if he can lead the Niners to a Super Bowl this year, I feel like because I actually I think he was even though Purdy. So first of all, going back to Purdy, he dealt with the elements, right? He he had the glove glove on for a little while. He took it off, he put it back on. There was that whole thing, and then eventually he figures it out when the game matters the most. He goes six for seven on the game winning drive. Niners win, awesome. But McCaffrey had the one long touchdown run first, which he called a shot, by the way, before the play, leaving the sideline, he told Shanahan, I'm going to score on this play. And he did, which is crazy. And then he also had the game winning touchdown run as well. I am. I, I mean, he's been great now for a number of years. Anybody who who sniffs and and who sniffs a football, <laughs> that's that's just a euphemism for me saying knows what a football is probably knows who Christian McCaffrey is at this point. And if they don't, then they damn well should, because he is, I think, the most electric player that we have in the game right now, even including guys like Mahomes, you know? Uh, Maybe that's not totally fair uh, because Mahomes plays the quarterback position, but I think you can make that same argument for McCaffrey, that he is just as electrifying to watch as Mahomes is. In some ways, I mean, it's a quarterback-driven league, so I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to put of him. Course. I'm not going to put him quite on the pedestal of Mahomes. But other, if you just take out quarterbacks and you talk about like electricity of position players, yeah, he's right. He's right there. Uh, Tyreek's not far behind. Justin Jefferson, when fully healthy, are the other guys that that come to mind. I don't know if I would say McCaffrey's the greatest um, running back, even of our generation. He said he's on his way to. He's on his way. He's certainly in the discussion. I think what Derrick Henry did with that Tennessee Titans AFC championship team that only had Ryan Tannehill. And I think A.J. Brown was on the team at that point, but he was only like a first or second year guy that hadn't really developed. There wasn't really anything else around and and derrick henry kind of solely carried that titans team to oh, come on the, hunter the henry was there all right hunter, <laughs> no he was really on yeah he Tennessee was team? yeah oh. he was and johnny mm. smith i didn't johnny smith i knew but um <laughs> the uh, thing with mccaffrey here while he deserves a ton of credit for yeah. the this san francisco 49ers team this year he is not alone. Okay. I know Debo was hurt in this in this game, but Debo's had a good year. Ayuk is a solid pass catcher. I think George Kittle is the best tight end in football. Okay, period. I, I he's he's way better than Travis Kelsey. If you if you put Kelsey, I've said this before. If you even put even better Kittle, than Laporta? Yeah, I mean Laporta had 10 touchdowns this year, but I mean when Kittle gets the ball in his hands, I still I think he's electric. You could say Laporta's on his way to to passing Kittle, but 
I, I think like, I think Kittle's numbers are still better this year. I'd have to, I'd have to fact check that, but yeah. Um, I've, I've said a million times, if you put Kittle in Kansas city's offense, he would blow Kelsey's numbers out of the water and it wouldn't even be close. I stand by that. He just, they don't throw the ball nearly as much in the San Fran offense and the tight end is responsible for a lot more blocking, but I mean, Kittle was huge in this game. He had like a hundred yards and a touchdown as yeah. well. Caught, caught the only touchdown from Purdy. That's my point he was with McCaffrey wide open on that too. That was such a pretty yeah, throw. He had a, a great throw. It was like throw textbook. By, textbook. by Purdy rolling to his right. But that's my only point when it comes to McCaffrey where yes, he is one of the best players in football that we've, that we've ever seen one of, and he's one of the best running backs. But I still think like when you're talking about running back leading a team, I still think what Derrick Henry did for that Titans team that went to the AFC championship and lost to Mahomes is a little bit more impressive. Okay, I think that's a that's a fair argument. But if the Niners can win the Super Bowl and McCaffrey breaks that single season scrimmage touchdown record on the way there, Jerry Rice, that's like that's the greatest receiver of all time. You know, that like that oh, means yeah. that means a lot. And I know he's a running back, but that even I think gives it more kind of merit to a certain extent to doing that for a, a franchise with the history of the Niners. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the Packers though, because we also, besides the love interceptions, we also had that missed field goal while the Packers were still up, which I was texting a, a Packers friend of mine. And as soon as they missed the kick, I, I texted him. I was like, "Uh Oh, that's not good. And they end up losing the game by, by three. Um, Carlson with that miss. It was his 10th game in the last 12 in which he missed a field goal. And it made you hear LaFleur's comment about him. You hear yeah, what LaFleur said? I did He's, say, but after the game, he said it was taken out of context. He he, he went back yeah, and kind of so. went against it. Um, so I don't think it's totally the, fair. What, what we're referencing for people who who haven't heard it, he says that whenever Carlson lines up to kick, he just prays, prays that it's <laughs> it's gonna go in. That's crazy. Um yeah, he was like 25th or 26th in the league in uh, field goal percentage this year, which, I mean, that's bottom third of all kickers in the league, you know? I thought um, I thought I heard that he was worst, but or maybe he had the most kicks missed. Maybe his percentage was 25th or 26th, but I thought he maybe. had the most – He had, I think he had the most field goals missed on the year. I would believe that. Um, I am just even more thankful for guys like Adam Vinatieri now. <laughs> Like greatest kicker of all time. Greatest kicker of all time. Not true. Adam Vinatieri is not the greatest kicker of all time. Justin Tucker is. There's no, there's no case against it. Best kicking percentage. Best. I mean, I just I'm, think I'm a about Steeler, I'm a Steeler fan saying this. Justin Tucker's the best kicker to ever kick. I just think about game winning kicks and that's what has my heart. But I understand your point. Um, Aaron Jones also only touched the ball three times in the last 20 minutes of this game after the Packers went up by seven. I don't understand why they didn't give him the ball more down the stretch. Run the ball, run the ball, run, run the freaking football. You're up by seven. You're up by a score against the Niners, who some would say is the best team in the league. Why are you? I, I understand what Jordan Love has done, and I understand what he meant to the team, but he already had an interception in this game on a bad throw, which obviously the second one came when they were down trying to come back, but they relied too much on him in the end. Like, give the ball to your veteran back, who you could argue was just as responsible, if not more so, for that thumping in Dallas the week before. Well, 
With Aaron Jones, so he did go over 100 yards, and a lot of it came on that big run to set up what I can't remember if that set up the missed field. I think it set up the missed field goal. Yeah. And then San Francisco kind of controlled the ball for like four or five minutes after that, I want to say. So, and then after that, they're, the Packers are trailing by three and there's only yeah. a couple minutes left to go. So they wasn't... had that big long drive that ended up giving him the lead and the win. Yeah. So there wasn't too much of an opportunity to really get him the ball after that, that big, huge run. Well, that, it that... wasn't uh, the, I was going I... back to the touchdown. Like I said, he only touched the ball three times in the last 20 minutes. If you look at it, Green Bay goes up uh, 21-14 with – Okay, um, I, thought, I thought you said like last seven. I, I might have misheard no, you earlier. No, Green Bay goes up 21-14 with um, like f- a little over five minutes left. No, my apologies. Yeah, excuse me. I am right. With a little over five minutes left after uh, in the third quarter. So after that, Aaron Jones only had three rushing attempts. He also um, – had a couple targets on short passes, but I I was a little surprised at that. You know, Lafleur comes from the Shanahan tree, and I would have expected him to use his own master's tactics at play and try to keep the run game going when when you're up by that much. Yeah, but you know what? When it when it comes to that, I think that they still got him plenty involved. I, I I hear what you're saying about not giving him a ton of touches down the stretch, but I do think a large part of that was due to San Francisco controlling some some clock in the fourth quarter, and they gave Jones the ball in the fourth quarter, and he he had that huge run that that set them up for what should have been a field goal to, uh, I think would have what pushed their lead to a full seven. I think they were up by four at that point, would have pushed it to a full seven. I can't remember. Exactly. So it would have pushed them to a full touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. I and probably maybe where there's some situations where you could go back on the tape and the film and say, all right, maybe a, a run here or there would have would have helped. Yeah, probably. Um, but I don't have a problem with trusting the quarterback that you're gonna roll with for you know the next 10, 15 years. Um, Jones got it's not like Jones didn't get anything in this game. I mean, he had 18 for 108. Um, you said that they they threw it a couple times to him, only had three catches for eight yards, but he did catch a two-point conversion in there as well. I'd have to go back and double check and, and really kind of rewatch the film on this to see exactly how many plays green Bay had in the final 20 minutes and, and how many opportunities they did have to run and, and they well, passed up for, for passing situations. But my first thought on this game, at least was that Aaron Jones was very impactful and yeah. was a big reason why green Bay was in the position that they were. He goes over hundred yards again. I think that was the fifth straight game that they said that he's done that. Yeah. So. I, um, I'm looking at it right now. He had that 53-yard run, first and 10. Then there's a penalty against San Francisco, leads to a first and five. Um, Wilson gets a first down run, comes in. Then they went to uh, Love passing to Kraft, no gain. Uh, They handed off one more time to Aaron Jones on second and 10 for one yard. And then after that, third and nine in completion that led to the field goal. So he touched the ball one more time on uh, one, two, three, like four plays essentially after that. So, I mean, that's not a huge, that's just after the big run you mentioned, but after the touchdown itself, I mean, they had what, eight. um, Yeah. Like four, nine, like nine plays before they were down again, really. So, 
they didn't have the ball long. That's that's what I mean. They just weren't able to sustain a drive after that. Um, yeah, that was the point I was getting at, where they they didn't have the ball as much during the time frame you're talking about. Therefore, didn't have as much of an opportunity to get it to them. Um, yeah, there was that first love interception, and then they they had a mm-hmm. three and out, and then the missed field goal. They, they just yeah, like awful, awful last twenty minutes of the football game for them offensively. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they had the game in control and part of the reason that, that Jones only got one touch after his big run to set up the missed field goal was, I mean, you got to take him out after that, after he runs what 50, 60 yards. I mean, he's got to come out for a blow. And I think you mentioned Wilson or one of the, one of the backups took the carry after that. So there was actually a penalty immediately after that. So I guess theoretically st- you, you could throw him back in, but not necessarily. Yeah, but he, even even five. still though, you got, I mean, you got a guy running that, that fast for like 60, 70 yards or, or whatever it was. And those guys, a lot of times they'll get two or three plays in a row off. So I think one penalty wouldn't, wouldn't have been enough to just throw them right back in the mix. Yeah. I'm with you with, with green BA. Now they have such a young offense. You would think this year they'll just focus more on their defense, try to build that side up a little bit more because that was probably their biggest weakness this year. And with, the youth they have in offense, they can afford to take a year to let those guys develop and, and work and build together some more, especially considering what you were already able to do this year and in Jordan Love's first full year as a starter, right? Yeah, I think defense is going to be a priority for them. I don't know what their cap space looks like and and where, like what contracts are up and, and where they have more money to allocate, whether offensively or defensively, but I imagine defense will, will be a priority. I think that they need to really work on run stopping. So, you know, focus on linebackers and, and defensive linemen as well. We talked about how they were the 28th ranked rushing defense coming into this game and they did do a solid job against McCaffrey, but you know, he was still able to get his licks in there. So I think that'll be a priority there. They're pretty good on with their corners. So I don't think they have too much to worry there, but I wouldn't rule out at least looking somewhere uh, trade wise or, you know, free agent or or draft, or whatever it be to pull in another weapon. I like Dobbs. I like um, Jaden Reed, but right now, as of right now, those are still just guys. I mean, imagine what this offense could be taken to and what Jordan love the level he could reach if he got an elite level talent, like a Devonte Adams or somebody like that. So I wouldn't rule out a little bit of help on the offensive side of the ball in that regard there. Flipping over to the other NFC playoff game we had this weekend. Lions Bucks 31-23 battle of the first round picks between Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield. It came down to a one possession game in the end and Tampa had an opportunity to perhaps drive down the field and and maybe tie the game if they scored and got a two-pointer, but that hope ended pretty quickly on that second Baker uh interception. That was a nice pick by the way by um Derek Brown, I think I think it was um, really really nice play, leaping to make that interception, high pointing the ball as a linebacker too. Um, what was your biggest takeaway between this game? I, I feel like this was the appropriate result for Tampa, right? Like they they played more competitively than people expected, but ultimately didn't have enough to win the game. 
Yeah, so my biggest takeaway was how good I thought both quarterbacks were. I know Baker's stat line looks a little bit less cosmetic at the end because he did have that interception. He and... was under pressure all game, though. Like, he was dealing with so much shit from the Detroit line. Oh, yeah, the the, Lion, the Lions had multiple drives where they just – it looked like Tampa was cooking, and then there's a sack or something like that that just completely derails the drive, takes him out of rhythm, either, you know, backs him up, makes it a second, third and long, or puts them out of field goal range, whatever it may be. But again, quarterback play for me has been what's really stood out. Like Goff was exceptional again. He did have the one throw that should have been an interception on that opening drive that uh, could have cost him three points. The Buccaneer defender, I forget who it was, uh, just dropped it on on that opening drive. But other than that, he he was pretty phenomenal again. 30 of 43 for 287 and two touchdowns. And then Baker, Baker was really good too. I, I, I thought he showed a lot of moxie down two touchdowns on the road. And he leads a phenomenal drive to pull them within a score. Um, and I do want to talk about the decision to go for two, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute, but he had a huge fourth and 14 conversion to Mike Evans early in that drive where that doesn't go anywhere. If he doesn't scramble and, and hit Mike Evans there, I thought his drive at the end of the first half to tie the game was phenomenal. His ball to Mike Evans that got them down to the one yard line was yeah, a beautifully, sure. beautifully thrown ball, man. And then uh, I want to say it was Kate Ottner was one of the tight ends that he throws a beautiful fade to, to, to convert for the touchdown there. Like great throws pretty much all throughout. Um, Evans had a vintage game in this one too. He was incredible. He did, he did man. He, he was, I mean, what else do you expect? I mean, Hall of Famer, we've talked about him so many times. And I want to say that the first interception of Baker's very early in the game, I know he threw into traffic. It was, it was deflected, but did But wasn't it deflected off of Evans? It, it was, might have been yeah. a little bit behind him. So I don't know like how a PFF or somebody would grade a throw like that, but I'm going to say that wasn't completely Baker's I think fault. it was attributed more to Evans than Baker. Okay. I, I saw somebody tweet about it. Um, yeah. He still Evans still had eight receptions for 147 yards. But it's crazy because the other day when we when we previewed this game, I said if he goes off for like 160 yards and two touchdowns, they win this game, which he was I mean, close. It, I he was, was close. pretty I was pretty <laughs> close. I was pretty close. I was not far off at all. Yeah. Um I felt pretty bad for Baker after this one. And I am of the teams that lost this weekend, I think Tampa has the most to be proud of with their season because people expected them to be like one of the worst teams in the NFC going into this year. Nobody expected anything from Baker. He, he basically spent the last year as a backup, right. And had been laughed at to, to be thought of as a starter in Tampa. And he proved them wrong all year. He had a career season. Um, I know they, their, their wild card win was against the Eagles who sucked at the end of the year, but still, I mean, He's now shown a history of being good for one playoff win. You know, he's a frisky guy. Tampa really rallied around his personality. Todd Bowles deserves a lot of credit for, for what happened with that team this year, too. He, he basically coached himself off of the hot seat with this season. Um, disappointing end to the year for them, but at the same time, I don't think you can be too disappointed coming within a, a one-score game, essentially, of a team like the Lions. Yeah, I wouldn't be disappointed at all either. Uh, the only thing that I think that maybe you could you could take away from from Tampa Bay, where like you could be more disappointed as a Tampa Bay fan the way things are looking now compared to say a Texans fan after this weekend, just in the sense that your roster is a little bit older. Guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, 
like Vita Vea, those are all guys that are getting a little bit older. And you wonder if that core that won the Super Bowl a couple of years back is going to be good enough next year and the year following to to make a run. You know, like I, I know <laughs> well, I, better, I hate to better... stop you there, but you want to hear who their impending free agents are this offseason? Let me oh, run, yeah. let me on, run you through a list. Mike Evans. Okay, that's the first name. Uh Devin White. Okay. Big one. Antoine Winfield Jr., another, another big, big one. one. And Levante David. Only three of the four best players on their defense. Yeah. And their Hall of Fame receiver that has been the hallmark of their franchise for the last decade. If if even half of those guys walk, you have a lot to fix just in the in the makeup of your team, the backbone, the spirit, the heart and soul. You know, that's like that's the whole makeup of your franchise since since Johnny Manziel was in college. <laughs> oh, I don't know why that was like the, I, I the, thought of the Mike point Evans of reference. In Texas A&M. It's oh, just okay. where my All brain right. went. Yeah, no, okay. All right, not as bad Not as bad as I thought. I was like, where the hell did you pull Manziel out of your ass? But I don't I, know. It was just a weird I get, I get it now. Um, so I, you're right. Like in that sense, you could say, okay. So I didn't even know that they had the, the that many guys potentially walking out due to free agency. Yeah, this could have been like a last hurrah for them, essentially. It it seems like it it is based on the the names that you just laid out there. And so in that sense, I think that a Tampa Bay fan might be a little bit more depressed today than say a Houston Texans fan if we're just comparing teams with upside who lost in. Well, and Baker round. is an impending free agent too. That's that's the other name I didn't even mention. Right. Right. But I hear you in the sense that they weren't expected to be good this year. They were expected to um, not even win the worst division in football. And so in that sense, they did absolutely outperform their expectation. And yeah, they were far more competitive than than the Detroit or than the Houston Texans were. I think a lot of that has to do with the roster compared to the Texans. But they got a playoff win against the defending NFC champions. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, there, there's there's plenty to take away from here. And Baker's going to get paid big time. A lot of people, a lot of teams in the NFL, not just the Bucs, are going – I think a lot of people are going to ask themselves, is all he needs just like a good team around him? I mean, because like, because I was thinking this too watching the game. If you flipped Baker onto the Lions and you put Goff on the Bucks, I think the Lions still win. <laughs> and I think, you know, and so I think a lot of teams are going to have that – going to have that perception of him going forward next year where he's going to get paid pretty big money as long as he's got a couple weapons, uh, a team with a couple weapons, they'll try to pay him. So he's, I'm sure he's walking away from the season pretty happy because he's going to get, he's going to get some dollar signs on his, his next paycheck. I don't know if you could really say that if you flip these guys, Detroit would still win. I think Detroit has the better team. Yes. But Goff is playing some awesome football right now. He's he's having an awesome postseason from these last two games. If he plays like this against San Fran, like I don't hate Detroit's chances. I'm not gonna I don't want to dive into that now. Let's talk about it when we do our preview episode. But he has been the centerpiece of this team. And I think the Lions really look at him as their guy. Like, I don't think they're really missing out on much when they look at the other top quarterbacks in the league anymore, especially after these last two wins. He's now what the the greatest outside of well, even I think with Stafford, you can make an argument he's he's is he the greatest quarterback in Lions history? I, I don't know. <laughs> 
I think Stafford probably just if you look at a pure numbers perspective has got him. I mean, we'll see if Goff wins the Super Bowl, then yeah, sure he'll he'll Stafford be. Stafford never even got a playoff win. Goff has two now. Right, and and I I didn't really want to get into this whole Goff discussion. With it's this. not I, fair to compare them, but there's like there's a little bit of an argument to it now, just in terms of what he means to the franchise. Yeah, maybe. I mean, again, this is that's not the point I'm I'm really trying to make, and I wasn't even trying to degrade Goff. I I really I really was not. I I'm just using the Lions as an example of a team that doesn't have a quote unquote elite quarterback, and when I say that. Before you jump in, I mean, like a guy like a Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, et cetera. Yeah. I wouldn't has, say he's but has, elite, but. But has an elite team around him. I think that a lot of teams that are of the build, like the Lions, are going to really want to pay a guy like Baker. I do I do think that the way that Baker has, the way that Baker has played this year, if you supplemented him on the Lions, I think that they'd be in the exact same spot, at least that they are now. We can get into that discussion at another time, but that's the only point I'm trying to make is that I think Baker proved that if he's got some talent around him, he can win. Um, and I don't think everybody thought that coming into this season, you alluded to him, of course, being a backup last year. And so for, you know, he's nixed that notion. And and I was one of the people that thought that coming into the season. So credit to him. Well, who, who do you think would look at him to try to take a chance? I mean, I mean, you're you're a fan of a team that needs a quarterback. Would you like it? I, I was I, I was actually going to say the Steelers might be a team that kind of makes sense. I certainly like Baker over the other free agent options. Yeah, um, I'd like I'd rather have Baker than Justin Fields. Um, and probably compared to the money that you'd have to spend on Kirk Cousins, um, that's another guy. Or as well, I'd probably rather have Baker over. I'd have to do a deeper dive on the rest of the NFL. I'm trying to like think of maybe... who else. The Raiders with Devontae there and and Josh Jacobs, Amir White, maybe. Um, maybe I think that he could potentially succeed there. Maybe the um, Bears go with uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> Instead, they trade down and they bring in well, Baker in free agency. The Bears are going to take Caleb Williams, so probably I don't think yeah. that that's going to be a. Uh, that's a little more far fetched. Um, yeah. What about like the Vikings? What if they decide not to bring back Kirk? What if they want to get someone younger? So um, that's a hypothetical that I don't think is going to happen because I think they will find a way to bring Kirk Cousins back. But in if we play the game and say that he is not back, yeah, absolutely. Baker's a guy that could su- succeed in Minnesota for sure. So you're basically saying that with the exception of like the hometown favoritism of Cousins, that Baker is pretty much like the number one quarterback to look at in the free agency. Uh, I mean, there's nobody else really to look at. With um, I don't know if I'm necessarily saying that, but I'm, if you consider like what you'll have to pay for him, so I don't know what he's going to command per se, but I, I think that you'll, you'll get the best bang for your buck going for Baker Mayfield mm. compared to the other guys compared to a Russ fields. You can, you don't have to pay him this year, but you'll have to give him some big contracts uh, after next year. And, and he hasn't proven he can win in this league. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, pr- I'd probably rather have Baker in that sense, but we're getting pretty optophic here. I think that there's still plenty of points within the game itself to talk about. So well, I would, we should rein it back in. Yeah. I would say to that point, if you look outside of the quarterbacks in this matchup, pretty much everybody who you would expect to show up for Detroit did like you had a St. Brown and Gibbs touchdown. You had Laporta impact in the game with a few big grabs and then Aiden Hutchinson who in the dying embers of this season has turned into a beast. He's got eight sacks in his last four games. Did yeah. you know that? It, he's, yeah. he's, I didn't know he had that many. I, I would say that the, uh, was dude, the he's jet. going crazy. 
the Jaguars, I don't know what they were thinking, what they take Trayvon Walker or, uh, yeah, I think it was Trayvon, Trayvon Walker, I think is his name they took over Hutchinson in that draft. I don't know what the thought process was on that one. Man, he is like just an absolute beast. And he's from Michigan too. Like you can tell he really cares deeply for the fan base and the team and the history of the franchise. Like I saw a clip of him after the win, just kind of looking around the stadium and taking it all in. And it, his eyes were like as big as dinner plates. Now, maybe that's just from like chugging Red Bulls at halftime or something, or just the pure adrenaline from the game itself. But I mean, he's playing right now at a caliber where if Detroit has the offense that they have paired with an elite pass rusher, they become that much more dangerous and that much more difficult to play against. Because now if you're Kyle Shanahan, you've got to dictate however much attention you feel is necessary to Hutchinson and and stopping him. And last time I checked green Bay didn't have a pass rusher as good as Aiden Hutchinson is playing right now. So that's, I think him and Trent Trent Williams is going to be my favorite non quarterback matchup to watch next week. Yeah, it should be a good one. And then Detroit's defensive front is very good as well. I mean, they stopped the run. I think that they have the second best rush defense in in the NFL. They uh, they didn't do a phenomenal job in limiting Richard White in terms of yards per carry, but he only carried the ball nine times for 55 yards, so relatively kept that in check as well. They got ta- other talented young guys on that uh, defense as well. Brian Branch been very good in the secondary for them. So, And then they had a, a pretty good free agent acquisition in Cam Sutton at the quarterback position as well. So, I mean, they, they got pieces there, but I want to go back and talk about guys on the offensive side of the ball and particularly two guys that I've talked about a lot throughout the year, Amon Ross St. Brown, man, it might be overlooked, but that third and 15 that he caught on that touchdown drive, that was huge. That that ended up putting Detroit up by two touchdowns, which again, he caught the touchdown to seal that drive as well. He catches that third and 15 ball, like two to three yards short of the line of scrimmage or not line of scrimmage short of the first down marker. And he's got two, three guys draped all around him. And he just lunges forward to get that first down, dude. Like that's his toughness. That's the energy that Dan Campbell has instilled in these guys. I've loved watching him play. Like I get, I get most happy for obviously for the Detroit fans, but for guys like him who came into this league with the chip on his shoulder, when he was picked in the fourth round and tons of receivers went above him that he thought he was more talented than, and he clearly was. I mean, this guy is a top five receiver. He's proven it in big moments, had 100 yards in the Rams game, has a crucial catch there on the third and 15, and then has the touchdown drive to essentially kind of seal the game or touchdown catch to seal the game. So give him some love. And then, man, I I tell you what, Jameer Gibbs on that touchdown run made Antoine Winfield, who is an elite safety, he put him on skates, put that dude on skates, man. And he was just too fast to be caught. He has. I Winfield. knew you were going to like that play. Yeah, he has Winfield like one-on-one in the open field. It's just, I'm better than you. I'm faster than you. It does a little shimmy to the right. And then he just beats him to the corner of the end zone on the on the left side. It, phenomenal. That's why I've been preaching for him to get more carries than David Montgomery. It was more of an even split this game. But all you have to do is look. Gibbs, 9 for 74. Montgomery, 10 for 33. And this was an elite Tampa Bay rush defense they were facing, too. It did not face the rookie at all. I am thoroughly impressed with their their youthful players and, and how, how good they already are and how much more development you would think they have ahead of them as well. I mean, 
you give Gibbs the opportunity to be the bell cow back of this offense, you could see some crazy numbers. Watch out for him in fantasy football next year. Um, I was, I, I mean, I honestly think that the Lions might be playing the best football right now. Even like, except for maybe the Ravens, but yeah, just not like more how so they're playing Baltimore. as, as a yeah. team. Like they are playing better football than the Niners or the Chiefs. I I don't want to read too much into that, but I don't know, man. There's just something about the energy in that locker room. It's so contagious and you can feel it watching the games. Sure, that maybe that's because it's it's in Detroit and the passion of the fans, but I feel like you're still going to get a sense of that in San Francisco next week too. That's a really tight knit group, really tight knit. Yeah, with within the within the players, you mean just the camaraderie and the the energy? Yeah, I yeah. don't expect that to and change it, just because the, they're on the road. And the coaching staff and everything, like you can just tell, these guys are playing for each other to a different level. Um, did you see though that? The Bucks still had a timeout left on that um, third and long that Detroit had when they when they took a knee. Like they could have stopped the clock. Yeah, and got the ball I heard. Back. I heard about that. I heard that Todd Bowles because remember he took a forget the exact circumstance. He took a timeout and then there was a penalty that kind of changed the complexion of whether to take that timeout or not. So it was credited back to him. And I I don't know if he he knew that. I think that he thought he had already wow. used his timeouts. I believe that wow. that was the reason. Um, but also, I wasn't paying too much attention at the time just because I thought the game was pretty much over and done with. I was just kind of scrolling through my phone. But I heard that Detroit also wasn't even, like, running the the play clock all the way down. No, they didn't. Like, they, they were they snapping left some the ball. Time. With, yeah, they were snapping the ball with still, like, 10, 15 seconds or whatever. So maybe they didn't time. know they had the timeout either. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know. It didn't matter in the large course of things now because the game played out the way that it did. Yeah. But and those, I guess, both coaches didn't really realize what was going on. But yeah, you need to uh, you need to make sure that's cleaned up. You don't want to potentially because like Kyle Shanahan's not going to let that fly. Kyle Shanahan's going to know exactly how many timeouts he's got, and if you give him an inkling like that next week, yikes! You uh, that could be a really really devastating way to go out. I don't know, man. I was kind of I don't want to like backtrack too much, but I was kind of disappointed by. I was disappointed by how the Niners played in some aspects, but also losing Debo that early and still finding a way to game plan around it and win the game against a pretty good Green Bay team who didn't play their best. I was, uh, I don't know. It was very hard to read between the lines. I'm going to need to think more on it before, um, before I make any decisions on that conference championship game. Um, well, I know where I'm rolling with that conference championship game, but I, I think your point is completely valid, at least on the NFC side. I think Detroit is playing like the better football team right now. I mean, they, they're in a little bit more of a rhythm. And, and I thought San Francisco brought like their C-minus game against Green Bay. And they found a way to win, which is impressive enough in and of itself. And I think it says a lot about the raw talent that San Francisco has. But Detroit has played much cleaner football games. And I would say the level of performance that their opponents have brought is – as much or more than green Bay brought in that game against San Francisco. Like the Rams brought their all in the, in the wild card round. And we talked about it here, even though Detroit was in control of this game, pretty much the whole time uh, or most of the game, Tampa Bay did everything they could um, and fought really right to the bitter end as well. So uh, Detroit's battle tested for sure. Can I ask you about the opinion to go for two? 
Tampa Bay's going for two uh, when they were down. What what were your thoughts on that? Because I know that 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 topic's swirling around a lot right now. I didn't love it, but I also feel like it didn't really, uh, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Like once Baker threw threw that pick to end the game, I was kind of like, all right. I mean, no, some game. You know what I mean? Like it. Yeah, I guess. it didn't really matter in the end. If if they had made it, I think. I don't know, man. Like, like I said, I don't think it really mattered that much in the end. They, they still lost, you know, well, like they, they didn't even get it. They ended up not mattering. Yeah. It but, ended up not mattering, but I mean, you can't, when you're actually making that decision in the moment, you can't, you can't think of it like that. Um, I, I wouldn't have gone for two myself, but I don't think it's because I, I like settling for the, t- uh, for the extra point there. And um, I, I just don't like to play it play it as aggressively i i think like i'm content with um in the moment i didn't like it but also like like i said at the end at the end of the game i i didn't really look back on it and think well that really cost him yeah well i i kind of just like it could have if the you know if the if tampa bay ends up scoring a touchdown on that last drive and and then they don't don't get that two-point conversion i like the higher percentage play in that situation i would have at least considered going for two if i were if it were the like following touchdown drive and say they were down 31 30 and I would have considered going for two there. Cause I kind of like the idea of playing for the win on the road, tie at home, kind of the old baseball adage, but I don't think it's as crazy of a decision as some people are saying the, I think the thought process is there is this, that you go for two because two point conversions are converted roughly 50% of the time in the NFL. So statistically, you know, you're going to have to score two touchdowns to even come back statistically if you go for two both times you're going to get them get it at least once and so the bare minimum stat suggests that you'll do you'll match the equivalent of just kicking extra points each time and then maybe if you just convert the two-point conversion the first time now you're already in the driver's seat it's like giving yourself a second option to convert rather than just putting all your eggs in the basket if you were to do it just on the touchdown drive at the, at the end of the game in theory i know it didn't come to fruition here but yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I agree with you in that regard, but I, like I said, I, I still I, don't know. Yeah. I still don't know if I would have done it. Like I don't like it at that point in the game, at least. Right. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um. Wow. Sorry <laughs> to get you off topic there. I just felt we had to talk about that. No, you're right. You're right. I, plenty of times. I, I feel like you have some merit there. I feel like you have some merit there. Um. Harbaugh met with chargers for a second time. He had a second interview with them. And I, I think that's a match made right there. Personally. I don't, I don't know if it sticks. I don't know if it sticks. Remember we talked earlier. What if Buffalo like hits the panic button and moves off McDermott? You don't, you feel like, don't you feel like he would lean more towards Josh Allen than Herbert? If that became available, this is totally hypothetical. I'm just kind of spitballing. Probably. That's an interesting discussion there, to, to be honest with you. I, I don't know where Harbaugh would come down on that. Um, I think, yeah, he probably would lean Josh Allen because I think that he'd probably say, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes wouldn't be in my division at that at that point. But despite what I was saying about McDermott, in my opinion, that they should move off of him, I don't think that Buffalo actually will. Yeah, I so don't think so. For, for that, in it's that sense, I, I think that yeah, it is kind of moot and that I do think it's a good match in LA. I've, I've been calling for that for a couple of weeks now. The Eagles fired their defensive coordinator and are now going to interview Ron Rivera for the position. <laughs> Immediate thoughts 
lay them on, lay it on me. So first time I'm hearing about that. Uh, I believe Ron Rivera comes from a defensive minded background. He does. Uh, I, I think that look, Ron has, has had some success in this league. I think that his opportunity to be a head coach has passed him by, but I'm sure he still would be a well-respected figure. And at least just focusing on the defensive side of the ball, I think things could be better. Uh, did you just say that they just brought him in or they're considered like they're, they're actually going to make that hire? Him. They're, they're interviewing him. him. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of like that defensive side uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think that they should obviously continue to interview guys and and uh, widen the range a little bit. But um, I mean, this is a guy who competed directly against the Eagles twice a year for the past couple of years. So he should uh, hopefully should have some insights in that regard. So I don't hate it at all. What about Dan Morgan? former director of player personnel for the bills from the years 2021 to 2003 year, a stretch in which they made the postseason twice and made it to the AFC championship game. He has been named the general manager of the Carolina Panthers as of today, uh, in charge of all football operations aspects per the team. My, my condolences to him happened to deal with David Tepper. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I, I can follow the logic there in, in Carolina. Look, I, I think that the Bills have had a Super Bowl caliber roster each of the past years that you just described from 21 through 23. I think it's been just a couple small things execution wise and some coaching as well that's prevented them from getting over the hump. So, you know, he built a good team there in Buffalo and uh, we'll see what he's what he can do in Carolina. I think it'll be far more challenging uh, with what they have to deal with. I don't know if Bryce Young is quite as naturally gifted as Josh Allen was. That's kind of what I'm getting at, but we'll see. I don't hate the hire there. I don't know who else Carolina was considering personally, but I get the logic behind it. We also had uh, Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator, getting hired as the Tennessee Titans head coach today. That leaves an OC vacancy in Cincinnati, which could get interesting for Joe Burrow. Um it's a five-year deal for Tennessee. Certainly, you would think this is a move to try and elevate the play of Will Levis, right? Yeah, you would have to think. Um, going with an offensive mind there, who somebody who's worked well with Joe Burrow. So that's every everything that Tennessee should be doing with these hires coming up, at least on the offensive side of the ball and the player personnel they're looking to acquire. Everything should be aimed at trying to supplement will levis you know there's not much around him right now and he is i think he would be considered a project definitely he's there's a lot of raw talent there but there's a lot of um kinks in the armor to iron out and so uh we'll see i i don't know for sure about that hire personally i would have liked to see somebody coming from like a, a mcveigh or or like a shanahan coaching tree somebody who worked like directly in their offense but uh we'll see well let me zag on you what if what if Callahan decides he wants to go trade for Jake Browning and have him as the new starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. Um, I'm supposed to answer that question seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You don't think he's better than Levis? I feel like he is. It's not like we're comparing. So, wait, so, fucking, so you are, like, so you are serious? Yeah, I am. Patrick. What? No. Browning sucked after a couple games. He was he was okay. He wasn't awesome. He had that one awful game. You, you actually you actually think it, it it's wise to have Jake Browning 
in there over Will Levis? I don't think it's any less wise than Will Levis. I don't think Will Levis is ever going to. So you don't, you don't, you don't think Will. Levis... You just said it's a project. Why not take a project that you're more comfortable with, the guy that you've worked with already? Patrick, Patrick Jake Browning's like 26 or 27. He didn't get a shot in the NFL until this year. Will uh, Levis I, puts mayonnaise in his coffee. All right, man. So you don't have you don't have a comeback to to that retort, dude. No, Will Levis. Just... He was a rookie last year. He's got plenty more upside than Jake Browning. Come on. I'm just saying, I don't think I, I, think I thought you were percent- joking at first, but I no, guess you were serious. I think the percent chance is greater than zero. I wouldn't say it's likely. I just think it's greater I think it's than zero. zero. Okay. He's not bringing in Jake Browning. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Fine. Agree to disagree. I don't, I don't you, think he's actually going to do it. You genuinely, you genuinely, oh, you, so you are joking. I don't think he's actually going to do it, but I think it's a possibility. I mean, considering he just came from the Bengals and I feel like the Bengals are going to listen to offers if, if people Dude. come with them. But like, don't you think it makes a lot more sense to roll with the rookie who showed flashes, who's younger and who is projected to have way more upside? Levis also who... had some crappy games too. Like, well, sure. By, by and large, Browning love... played better. I don't even know if that's a hundred percent true, but I mean, Browning also had more to work with. I would say in his offense, and he also, again, didn't get a shot until this year. He was like 26, 27 years old, whatever it was. Levis is way younger with way higher upside. I can't believe I'm actually having this argument. I'm just like, I will let I know us, you're Will Schmevis. I, I, I thought you had moved off Jake Browning after his terrible game against the Steelers, but clearly not, I was wrong. Listen, I'm just exploring possibilities for the future of the organization. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put my Tennessee Titans hat on. Understood. Um, and I don't think that that is one that Tennessee will explore. I have uh, one, one other uh, little wrinkle there for you. Um, the Browns general manager, Andrew Berry, had some quotes come out this week um, in respect to, one, Joe Flacco essentially entertaining the possibility of, of trying to bring him back and saying that um, if it were the case that he was backing up Watson next year, there would be zero awkwardness in the Browns locker room. But the way more important thing he mentioned was – the uncertainty of Nick Chubb ever having another snap with the Cleveland Browns. He sort of alluded to the fact that there may be some kind of contract dispute between uh, Chubb and the organization. This is approaching on Chubb's last season under contract. So there's possibility that maybe he tries to work an extension out with the team before arriving at, at camp. And then there's also the possibility that they cut him. Because if they do so, they can save quite a bit of money for a guy coming off of an injury. I know it's Nick Chubb, and obviously that is that was the biggest key factor for their offense this year. The the GM was also quoted as saying, "I hope that it's not that that wasn't the last snap that he ever had for us." You know, so they want to bring him back, but just the fact that this was even mentioned gave me pause for a moment because i i feel like if he wasn't worried about it he wouldn't have said anything yeah you're probably right but i think it speaks to the nature of the running back position in in the nfl these days chubb has had two major knee injuries he's 28 you know like those those things don't add up well and with again i talk about it all the time with how beat up the position is and just the the nature of the game going to like more and more of these running back by committee situations 
they can save almost 12 mil if they cut him. Yeah, they save they save money. I, look, I don't necessarily think they will cut him, but I don't I don't think the discussion is as ridiculous as you might think considering the injury history. Just considering that I think that they can like Jerome Ford was no Nick Chubb this year. So don't yeah. get me wrong when I say this, but Jerome Ford still filled in pretty nicely and and Kareem Hunt did as well at times. Like I, I think that the you can find replacements easier than you think, and and age is huge. So who knows what Nick Chubb will even see next year? That was a terrible knee injury he suffered at the beginning yeah. of this year. So, you know, it might not look so dumb if Nick Chubb comes back next year and maybe he's not with the Browns and he's just not able to shoulder a full workload like he used to, which might be the case. All right. Last nugget. Um, in the Kansas city chiefs win over the Buffalo bills, uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey combined for two uh, touchdowns on the day. Those two touchdowns gave Swift or gave, excuse me, Swift, Mahomes and get Taylor Swift out of your mind. I'm sorry, man. Gabe's gave Mahomes and Kelsey uh, sole possession of the most postseason touchdowns between a duo of players. They passed Brady and Gronk on their way to doing it. This begs the question: um, Are they the best tandem of quarterback and uh, receiver, tight end, whatever? Um, of all time. I mean, Brady Gronk isn't the only one you look at. That's that's just who they passed. You also got to think about like Montana Rice and and Montana Rice was the first one that I thought of as well. Even like Brady Moss, even though they didn't win a Super Bowl, you could even look at like Peyton Manning and and Reggie Wayne. You could look at like a whole host of other players. I mean, um I I feel like I still would put Gronk as the best tight end ever, pure tight end. But I don't know if I can argue against um, these two guys being the most dominant duo of players that, that we've seen at this stage in a while. I, I'm sort of conceding that, just like the two together. I mean, you, you saw it last year with them basically winning the Super Bowl, just those two guys. And, and now it's looking like they might lead this team to the Super Bowl again. Yeah, very, very well could. Um, well, if they got the most touchdowns at combination in postseason history, I think you'd have to say that they're at least the best postseason duo, right? Um, I mean, Montana to Rice was the first quarterback to receiver combination that came to mind for potentially greatest of all time. And, you know, maybe that still is the greatest of all time for now, but uh, you're right. We'll, we'll, and we'll see how much longer Travis Kelsey has, Mahomes has forever to play, but um, we'll see how much longer Kelsey sticks it out to, to maybe make that claim definitive, but I can't argue with it. I mean, these guys, what they've done in the postseason is, is miraculous. And um, I understand where you're coming from sticking with your guys, Brady and Gronk, but I think that I think Mahomes to Kelsey has done enough to, to surpass that duo in my mind, at least. I mean, who else could you even really think of besides Montana rice, like Aikman Irvin, uh, <laughs> Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan or like, yeah, but you, you know what? And and you bring up Bradshaw and Swan. And it was, uh, it was really more well. Steve Young and Jerry Rice than Montana and Rice. That's who Rice played more of his seasons with in a, no, that's not true. It, it's a little bit. I of was a, just, I was just about to say, I think that he, a large part of Rice's success is due to Montana, but yeah, what I was going what, what to what yeah, get at is that if you look back at those other guys that we're mentioning, 
the the league was not as focused on passing back in the day so their numbers won't be quite as gaudy so sometimes it is different to, difficult to compare between eras i mean especially if you're going all the way back into the the, the bradshaw swan era uh, i mean all you have to do is look at the numbers they just don't they don't compare to like that that doesn't even compare to like ben ab ben ab is the best combination the steelers have ever had probably and it's just because the league is so much more focused on passing now and over the past 10 15 years in the the time frame that mahomes is playing in compared to those other guys so a little bit unfair in that regard but like you can't take away from mahomes and kelsey because of that well any final thoughts from you mr commissioner my final thoughts is just I, I hope that uh, the NFC and AFC championship games live up to the hype. I I do. I'm completely fine. I think that these are 100% the the four best teams, at least the way that they're playing right now in football. I know that that doesn't always work its way out, but totally I think agree. This, this totally year, agree. this year, the way everybody's playing now, these are these are definitely the four best teams in football, and so I think that everybody should cherish that because, look, the way that the playoff structure works, just with you know one and done. And even though football, there's not as many games, you don't always get the the best teams at the end of the year. Now, last year, I think we did with Chiefs Eagles and we might be trending towards something similar this year. But just the way the playoff structure works in professional sports, we don't always get the actual best teams. But this year, I think that you should cherish the fact as a fan that the final four that we got here are one through four in some order. Okay, I, I feel pretty good about that. I feel very similarly. And We've got one, uh, only a few more weeks really to decide who, who the best team is in the league this year. I'm very excited for, for the outcomes the next couple of weeks. Paul, my friends, it's been a pleasure. As always, fifth and long listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, like I said, we are going to have a prediction episode for the conference championship round later in the week, so stay tuned for that. You can expect a drop, I believe, Friday morning, uh, sometime around there. Fifth and Long Fridays are becoming a regular thing. Paul, my man, get some rest. Good night. Go Cox, by the way, playing number eight ranked Kentucky in Colonial Life Arena tomorrow. It's a blackout. Cox are getting the win. You heard it here first. Love that, man. Love that. Go Cox. B-ball. We'll be, uh, we'll be talking some college basketball pretty damn soon. So stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. So I'm very excited. And uh, yeah, go South Carolina, man. Fifth and Long fans, thanks again. Find us on Instagram and YouTube at Fifth and Long Pod and on Twitter at Fifth and Long as well. A lot of big things on the way for us. Very exciting things. So definitely keep up with us. You're going to be seeing a lot more of us soon. Uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon or evening, whenever it is you're listening to this. And we'll see you next time right here on the Fifth and Long Podcast. God bless everyone. Yeah.